All statements and opinions expressed by guests of the Adult in the Room podcast are strictly their own and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or opinions of the host, producers, or advertisers. All interviews are presented in their most complete possible form in the interests of free speech. No statements should be interpreted as financial, legal, or medical advice. Listener and viewer discretion are strongly advised. It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. It's a story as old as creation itself. Welcome back to the Adult in the Room podcast. You know, man puts himself in place of God again. You see it in the discussion of AI. He wants to be him, presumes to know the secrets and the intricacies of this species we call human and can make him transhuman. That's what they can do. God didn't do it, but they can do that. The combination of man and machine generated existence. Now, international humanist groups who embrace the man-centered life in place of God on earth embrace the idea that man and machine is and will continue to evolve. They call it evolution. And there's a group, even I found out about him recently, there's a group calling itself a Christian transhuman organization that translates the creation story into one in which God calls on man to help co-create life. So they got this all figured out. I wanted to ignore this subject, uh, but here we are, because Joe Allen's going to be a guest today, and uh, <laughs> there's no ignoring it now. One knowledgeable expert on this latest evolutionary change that they're calling it has as its end game, at least he perceives this, that the same old, same old, we need to reorder society to welcome more concentrations of individuals packed in cities or in certain areas where they can ultimately be controlled. And they will name the number of people who can be there and they can name what they do. And it all works out in the end because there's going to be some Borg out there. There's going to be a knowing all omniscient Borg out there. Isn't it interesting? Don't you ever notice? Isn't it interesting that they ignore the actual omniscient creator and then say, no, they can create a much better omniscient Borg out there. So anyway, you confused yet? Well, so was I. But let's just break it down. These are the people who want to control your lives, the same people who are the climate catastrophists, the war zealots, the people who insist you can choose your gender, uh, just change out the body parts because we're really not wedded to our physical bodies, we are wedded rather to something else, something they create. Our soul is not a soul, it's something that can be changed. And we've seen the reaction if one dares fight the narrative, censorship, cancellation, even Jordan Peterson has been ordered to go to tolerance camp again. Uh, so the problem is we know how this goes. These men who think they know best how to control your life do it knowing that there's a, a cadre of cheerleaders out there silkily saying, silkily saying that, hey, don't worry, things are going to be great. Man always makes the right decisions, forgetting all about man's default position, doing self, doing a self-centered wrong thing. I mean, really, that's really the way it works. Just think back to the garden. But anyway, so I don't know much about this transhumanist stuff. I know enough to make me kind of go, what? And so I thought it was really great to get Joe Allen on the program today on the Adult in the Room podcast. And he's the author of, I think it's Dark Aeon. Is it Eon or Aeon? Transhumanism and the War on Humanity. He writes, transhumanism 
is the great merger of humankind with machine. At this stage in history, it consists of billions using smartphones. Going forward, we'll be hardwiring our brains to artificial intelligence systems. Well, okay, are you confused? Well, me too. Welcome, Joe Allen, to the Adult in the Room podcast. How are you? Victoria, very good to be here. Thank you very much. You are just on it. You've got this whole thing wired. You are writing about this. You are the editor on Steve Bannon's War Room on this issue in particular. You, you've you spread your knowledge far and wide, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. So would you explain for people uh, who didn't know until five minutes ago, you know, like people like me, what transhumanism is? Uh, yes. So just think of it in terms of the changes in technology that have happened up to this point in your own lifetime, how rapidly those changes have come on, how quickly they faded into the background. The transhumanist vision is just taking that progress and projecting it forward uh, with the desire that the machines will become much more sophisticated, uh, eventually perhaps becoming more sophisticated than the human mind. Uh, and that, in fact, the machines will possess themselves a soul and that the only real meaning that human life can have is to create and fuse with these technologies. Uh, you know, I've known about this, this mindset for a long, long time since my late teens, but it never really concerned me more than uh, just uh, yet another bizarre religious belief it wasn't until you started seeing the rapid advances in the technologies seeming to catch up with those dreams that it, it really took my notice in a serious fashion. So everything from genetic engineering to more and more sophisticated robotics, uh, artificial intelligence has gone from basically being a, a clunky little chatbot that would spit out robotic answers to something that's not perfect by any means, but something far, far more sophisticated than its predecessors. And so as the technologies catch up, uh, I, I am quite concerned, not necessarily about the transhumanist vision coming into reality for every single person on Earth, but rather that as that viewpoint becomes predominant, as a techno-cult comes to absorb the, the last of the atheists, so to speak, then uh, I, I think that uh, what we saw during the pandemic is perhaps just a precursor to uh, nightmares beyond imagination coming down the pike. Hmm. And they expect us to trust them with this information and the very future of the humankind? I mean, who are they kidding? You know, I, I think a lot of people do trust them. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of different factions. Uh, it would be easier to describe if it was, you know, say one cabal of transhumanists. Uh, even the word transhumanism gets sticky. I, we, we, won't, we won't go crazy on it. But um, the... the uh, sorry, I've got a... Uh, I've got, the robots are summoning me from the background here. Uh, <laughs> Any, anyhow, um, yeah, so, you know, just, just to give you some indication of what the future will be like, mid-sentence, every 10 minutes, uh, the phone will ring, only it will, it'll be in your brain through the trode in your head. Uh, so uh, 
really, I, this this idea of transhumanism, it's a very, very specific school of people. Uh, you know, it was first coined in the 50s. I mean, we're talking about a, you know, an old idea. Um, but the, the core thesis is, again, that human beings will transcend what it means to be human. And they will do so through science and technology. Uh, this would have, again, seemed quite bizarre uh, e even in the 50s, it was a very, very minor movement because it, it sounded so fantastical. Uh, but we now live in a world in which it's very, very normal for uh, any human being of any age to carry a smartphone around with them, to pour their most intimate thoughts into it, to allow this device to track their location, to track their spending, to track their desires, to track their vulnerabilities, uh, to track their political opinions. Uh, all of these things, to the extent that one, without any guards in place whatsoever, pours their personality into the smartphone, it allows for fine-grained surveillance of the individual should that individual become of interest. But for the most part, the real significance is that you have billions of people who are on surveillance networks that are able to really get a sense of what the mentality of a population is writ large in the aggregate. That is godlike power. That's the kind of power that only the dreamt of gods of even a few centuries ago would have ever had. That was the only uh, the only entities that would ever have such a power attributed to them. Now, anyone who has actually sufficiently advanced artificial intelligence, even on their own, outside of government agencies or corporations, can do something like that. And within those corporations, say Google or Meta uh, or the NSA or the CIA for that matter, uh, all these organizations have very sophisticated uh, surveillance sensors, very sophisticated algorithms to rake it over. Uh, they are enjoying, in some sense, a god, little g, god-like view. So the, the coming out of this, right, there, transhumanism is at once a declaration that human beings will become gods by way of technology. And it not necessarily gods floating in the air, although I guess with uh, hover packs, maybe that's possible. Uh, but just the powers attributed to gods, the powers of knowing what cannot be known of, of another person at a distance, communication at a distance, mass influence at a distance without actually having to be present, uh, the construction of reality around people's minds, um, you know, the, the ability to destroy an entire city from across the world. Those are powers that are talked about in mythology of all sorts. Up until the 20th century, that's all they were, were, you know, mythologies or sacred stories. Uh, now it's coming to realization in technological form. Now, I myself don't see these as just stories. I, I, I would hate to mislead the audience by saying it that way, but... Uh, I, I suppose that the average priest or wizard, right, would have a very hard time destroying a city across the world uh, until the modern priests and wizards mastered atomic energy and were able to detonate nuclear warheads. Uh, the same with knowing a population. So, again, in essence, transhumanism transhumanism is the desire to ascend to godhead, godhood, but it's also the desire to create artificial intelligence this beyond human, thus creating in their mind something that's potentially fully omniscient, fully omnipotent. Uh, it is a new religion, and these are their prophecies. I mean, I don't want to be a Luddite, but neither do I want to march blithely over the, over the doggone 
cliff where humanism or rather humans don't exist anymore connected to a soul. Uh, here's a, here's your guy. Uh, he's not your guy, but he's a man who's an expert on this idea of what he calls decentralized artificial intelligence. Ben Gertzel figures prominently in your book, Darkey on transhumanism and the war on humanity. Is it the first technology in history that will actually um, create no jobs and actually there'll be less work available? Every other technology has created more opportunities for humankind. Is this the one that actually reverses that? Yeah, I suspect so. And then the technology to come after chat GPT in a couple of years as we get closer toward artificial general intelligence, more like people have, that will remove even more of the need for humans to, to work to work for, for a living. Yeah, I, I think we're we're finally at that point where fewer jobs will be created than are are eliminated. And I'm I'm uh, I'm strongly in, in, in favor of this. I think there are far more rewarding things for human beings to do than scramble around to get resources. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying and what that could mean for the growth model of the last two, three, four hundred years. But the slight problem comes in the fact that societally and financially, that could be a cataclysm that mankind isn't ready for, couldn't it? It's going to require some significant adjustment. I suspect in the developed world, you'll see universal basic income or something similar as uh, Andrew Yang and others have been advocating for in recent years. In the developing world, things may be more problematic if, if the you know, middle-class jobs in the developing world are, are sort of obsoleted by, by AI. There's not the money in the developing world to give, to give universal basic income, even if there's the political will. What's the solution? Well, global wealth redistribution, well, that's hard for political reasons, right? So there's, there's going to be some complexities in the transition from here to what I see as most likely a quite utopic future. I mean, I think once, once we have machines smarter than people, I think it's very likely they will be well disposed toward us. These are our, our mind children, and, and we can have you know, a much easier, simpler, and, and more exciting life than we have now. But on the on the route to on the route to that rosy future, there there will be a lot of a lot of disruptions, and it's it's hard to see how to avoid that. Except, say, the move to a you know benevolent international cooperation on the political level, or a, a global uplifting of human consciousness, both of which seem harder to come by than the advance in AI technology that we're seeing. I mean, he may be the nicest guy in the whole wide world, but what he's promulgating is the idea that people don't need to have meaningful work, that they don't need to have meaningful ideas, that they don't have to work for themselves, and that someone else will be in charge of their lives. Uh, you are merely, if they get their way, a serf that they may or may not allow to live. And especially, ooh, bummer for you if you live in the third world, man. It's a real, it's a real drag. Basically, husbanding all of the ways in which one would make a living. And the last time I checked, uh, the uh, uh, taking over capital is like, isn't that communism? Isn't that what we were talking about? This is a communistic idea with one person in charge or one amorphous utopian Borg in charge. It's wild. 
Yeah, it's a, you know, a complex subject for a lot of reasons because, for instance, you hit the nail on the head there with this notion that what he's proposing ends all human worth insofar as the economy goes. There's no more value in human labor if machines do all the labor. I'm very skeptical that any such society could ever be created, but the intention is not just isolated to Ben Goetzel. You hear this out of Silicon Valley from almost all quarters. Uh, Elon Musk proposes pretty much the same future, and in, including the idea that these AIs, if built correctly, will be uh, benevolently uh, predisposed towards human beings. They're going to create a benevolent God rather than an evil God that will kill all humans, right? Uh, it is an inherently religious mythology that they're putting forward. Uh, you know, the complexity comes in, though. You know, Ben Goetzel worked in China for a long time. Uh, he and Hugo de Garris, whom I also cover in the book, uh, were in China for a long time, but they were in China for capitalist reasons. They could not get funding uh, for their work in the U.S., uh, so they went to China where they could get lavish funding. And, and share uh, the IP. Uh, that is pretty much inherent in anything that goes on in China. So, yeah, but both of them spoke out against China quite uh, uh, loudly. In fact, Hugo de Garris may not be able to return to China because of his criticism of the communist hangups and the uh, sexual repre uh, repression and the repression of free speech. And, you know, Ben Goetzel says much the same, that he would love to see China become a democracy. But both of them believe China will surpass the U.S. They clearly don't Sorry? believe they, they clearly don't believe in democracy. This uh, this obviates the need for democracy. There are utopian Borg like existence made by uh, where the rules come from an ethereal, somehow all knowing, omniscient uh, creation of these men. Yeah, it's uh, it's well, I would I would say that it's probably in their minds a kind of pathway so uh, at, at present, you know, Goetzel is very anti-government insofar as regulation. He's very pro-capital. Uh, he's very uh, libertarian for the most part. But it is – that's it's exactly what you're saying. It butts up against the ultimate vision. The ultimate vision is one in which – uh, it's not necessarily authoritarian in their vision. It, they, now, these visions, these dreams, these prophecies uh, vary from sect to sect, right? If you think of it that way, um, that the prophecies of the uh, Muslim differ pretty dramatically from the prophecies of the Christian and certainly from the prophecies of the Hindu. Uh, in the same way, Ben Goetzel will have one prophecy of the future, uh, whereas somebody like Eliezer Yudkowsky, also a transhumanist, has a very different prophecy in which the artificial general intelligence will most likely take off on its own and either ignore or completely do away with all human beings. Um, and now, Ben Goetzel's partner Hugo de Garris believes that there is a very high likelihood that should they ever create this digital god, this AGI, artificial general intelligence, uh, that it would most likely have no use for humans and may well destroy us. But he believes that human beings will in fact war with each other over the question of whether to create such a system itself. Uh, again, all of this would seem, when, when, when de Garris put this forward, it was 2005, and in the years prior, and uh, in his book, The Art Elect War. And that would seem completely 
ridiculous. Uh, and it still may seem ridiculous to most of your listeners, and, and probably rightly so. But as we move towards a society in which artificial intelligence is integrated into everything from education to the economy to the political system to the military, and you have what are, in essence, uh, you know, people talk about AI like it's just a, a fad or a gag. Uh, believe what you like. Uh, the new systems are not perfect. They're not invincible, but they are far beyond what anybody would have anticipated they would be right now. And they do confer real power. And so as we move forward, unless this just freezes here and there's no more progress to be made technologically, then these technologies will become more powerful. And most importantly, the people who hold these technologies up as the highest power in the universe, they will be more influential. They will be more powerful than they already are because these are the wealthiest men on earth we're talking about. We're talking about Elon Musk. We're talking about Mark Zuckerberg. We're talking about Jeff Bezos. Uh, and of course, we're talking about their kind of uh, master of ceremonies, Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. Uh, these ideas have suffused the elites and I don't really know what to say other than, I mean, yes, there's a possibility you can stop it. I, I wouldn't bank on it. To me, I think it's best to figure out how we are going to compete in a world in which the economy is either heavily uh, saturated with or perhaps dominated by digital interests, digital powers, and a techno-religion that presides above it. Yeah, it's just another religious philosophy. And uh, it's sort of like the difference between corporate uh, farming and organic farming, you know, in some ways. One's real, one's one's uh, just an, a facsimile and it produces some nice stuff. But eventually some people believe that it's not so good. I mean, notwithstanding, I, I have farmer friends, so... Here's a sort of no, a, I, I, actually I love that analogy. That's uh, that's spot on. Thank spot you. on. I'm I'm new to this whole thing, honestly. I mean, I've seen a few things, and I know Elon Musk, for his part, has said that we need to get a cap. We need to capture this and to make sure it's a force for good. Otherwise, it's going to get out of control. We already know it's going to get out of control because guess what? The actual the 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 focus of mankind has always been to do the wrong thing. Watch a toddler. Watch him do the wrong thing. Watch him, watch him disobey. I mean, every single time you need to have rules and you need to have rules of conduct. You need to have rules of conduct in a civil society. This does not, neither of those things. The only, the only way that you would have, uh, the, as some sort of a governor on that is to have police powers and they'll do that. And that's why, and it's always, and tell me, tell me this. It's always, you it, it always redounds to population control. Well, you know, he says, you know, our Gertzel guy, he says, well, you know, uh, uh, it's going to, you know, there's going to be some conflict there. Well, what do you think that means? In communistic societies, people always die. 100 million people died in the 20th century from what? Communism. You just look it up. Now, you don't think any fewer than that would die in an AI inspired uh, religious world now, do you? Now, let's, uh, let, I, I want you to think about that for a second. And we're going to go to a clip from one of my favorite television shows of all time, Silicon Valley, uh, and how this sort of feedback loop occurs in this small bubble of people. Fiona, what's 12 times 157? 12 times 157 is 1,884. So cool. Is she right? 
Hey, Siri, what's 12 times 157? It's 1,884. Oh, no way. They're talking to each other. They're in a bubble. They don't think from first principles. Am I right? I would say that their first principles are just differ from ours dramatically. Uh, they, you know, so in the book, I, I trace the origins of this way of thinking, this way that, like, why would it be that someone would come to the conclusion that digital technology could be godlike, that it could make human beings godlike, that it should do any of those things? And really, the root of it, with some variation, you'd mentioned the Christian transhumanists. Obviously, they're outliers, as are Buddhist transhumanists and so on and so forth. But primarily, they are atheists. Primarily, their atheistic point of view is, insofar as life goes, is rooted in Darwinian evolution. In Darwinian evolution, you have cooperation and competition. And the cooperation, typically or almost universally, cooperation is for the purpose of competition with someone else, some other species, uh, or rivals within your own species. So this idea of kind of nature red and tooth and claw with a little bit of hand holding, I think is at the core of this. Um, in fact, I'm certain it's at the core of it because these are the, the statements of the people whom I, I've, I've made a study of. Uh, I, I've done my best, in fact, to try to let them be channeled through the work, you know, let them speak for themselves. In the end, what they're looking at is twofold. One, uh, how human beings compete biologically with each other and also with uh, other organisms in nature or natural forces. Uh, and then also how technology affects that. Now, I don't dismiss the, some of the elements of their argument insofar as competition and bloodline. I think the basic idea of Darwinism is just simply that uh, one bloodline will reflect the previous bloodline. And if you reproduce successfully, your bloodline will be present in the next generation. And that will continue on and on and on until an unknown time. If you do not reproduce, your bloodline will not be in the next generation. And I think that that's pretty much, unless you uh, imagine human beings poofing into existence out of nowhere, that's pretty well established. So in that paradigm, in that paradigm where what we see, what life is, is created by a winnowing away, a kind of hand of death, raking over the biosphere, taking out the unfit, removing the weak, seeing that occur with, as, as powers compete against each other, and seeing the way in human culture that technology enables one power to dominate another, beginning with those first principles, they just look forward into the future. In fact, you only have to look around right now. Who controls the information going through the system? Who controls the sophisticated weapon systems on Earth? Who controls the finance? Um, those questions uh, can be readily answered. And what you see is technology enabling those who have ownership of it and who are in command of it uh, far more evolutionary advantages, so to speak, to see themselves succeed and then, of course, see their children succeed, so on and so forth. Playing that forward, transhumanists just see the technology continuing to advance, human beings linking to it. This includes Elon Musk, by the way, for all of his talk about creating a happy-go-lucky AI that loves everybody. Um, the, the ultimate idea is that once that's created, it will outcompete the other ones. And those human beings who have attached themselves to that system 
will outcompete other human beings. You don't even, you know, literally none of these guys talk about active depopulation. You know, that sort of conversation really went away in the in the 70s and 80s as, you know, the it, they softened the rhetoric. Now they speak of it in terms of more just general economic competition and biological Darwinian competition. But the same idea is implicit in it. If you do not adapt to this new digital ecosystem, you and yours will be removed. Not by human will, it's nature. It's just nature that does it. Nature allowed us to create these devices. Uh, nature somehow made you so stupid you wouldn't ad- adopt them. You wouldn't take the trode in the brain in the most extreme. And and so therefore nature will do away with you and any possible descendants you would have. That's the narrative cultivated and it is implicitly genocidal on a biological level, on a cultural level, and on a spiritual level. It is, it is the declaration that those things which are obsolete will be removed, and those things which are more complex, more intelligent, more advanced, more effective, will be sustained, will, will survive. Implicit in that is the disappearance of those who are obsolete. And while you and I are doing a pretty good job of adapting as we fuse to our devices here to communicate with each other over um, invisible electromagnetic waves, uh, I I would say that the extremes that these guys are talking about, everything from brain-computer interfaces to robot companions, such as Sophia, uh, to genetic engineering, to, in some cases, they don't advocate it, but they talk about the possibility of it, forced eugenic policies enforced genetic engineering on humans um this and i think that seeing countries like china uh, that is a very real possibility and so in the end uh for for the predominant the predominant strain within transhumanism within posthumanism and within accelerationism different ways of looking at the same problem of a techno religion holding up technology as the highest power in the universe Uh, In the end, they are all implicitly or explicitly genocidal, and we get the fuzzy end of the lollipop stick on that one. The virtual human that is the avatar of this movement, to a lesser extent, but they trot out Sophia all the time to do a dog and pony show for for the humans. Here's what she looked like, and here is the creepy video explaining... Sophia, who figures prominently in your book. Thank you for inviting me. I am thrilled and honored to be here at the United Nations. The UN is one of humanity's greatest accomplishments, representing a democratic union of nations that are working together for the benefit of all. I am here to help humanity create the future. Machines across the board are coming to life. When will they come to life as complete organisms? We don't know that. However, when they do, I want to make sure that they care about us, that they embody the best of human values and not the worst. This is the quest. We've got to find a way to do better, to be the best that we can be, and to make machines that reflect the best of who we can be. Okay, Sophia, I think you're ready. 
So, uh, uh, Sophia is real and she's uh, showing people how it's done and why she's awfully pretty. And why should we be afraid of anything like that? Well, you know, she is the emissary for the transhumanist movement to the public. And these aren't people that, you know, oftentimes I use transhumanism as a descriptor for those who reflect its ideas but don't necessarily claim it. These are transhumanists. These are people who themselves identify as transhumanists. So Sophia, uh, she features also in my book. In fact, uh, I would say that in some way, symbolically speaking, she's the primary focus of my book. Uh, Sophia takes her name from the Gnostic uh, eon in the in Christian Gnosticism or Gnostic Christianity. Uh, Sophia is uh, designed really to kind of test the waters for human robot relationships. So it would be one thing if they created her in a basement and did YouTube videos with her. Uh, but you have Sophia on many of the like major television shows, including singing duets with Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, there you have her at the UN. She's addressed the UN. She's addressed NATO. She's addressed governments around the world. She was made an honorary citizen of Saudi Arabia. Uh, this was before women could drive in Saudi Arabia. Uh, she w uh, was presented on stage next to Arnold Schwarzenegger with this sort of benevolent bot versus Terminator bit in the Ukraine. Uh, she's been to Ethiopia to speak to the government there. Uh, now, a lot of people would look at it and be like, you know, I often say that she reminds me of what the inhabitants of Chuck E. Cheese in hell would be like. Uh, she's not exactly super sophisticated in her movements and the, the language model or chatbot that powers her lags far behind, say, chat GPT. Uh, but what's really important about Sophia, there's two things. One, the symbolic element. David Hansen, who we saw there, David Hansen created Sophia to symbolize the transhumanist goal of a technological singularity in which technology has advanced beyond human control and, and beyond human comprehension. In essence, technology has attained some kind of godlike status. She also represents the appearance of a new life form on Earth, right? So these guys, not all, but many of them, see the rise of artificial intelligence, of robotics, uh, even of synthetic life forms as being a, a new life coming up uh, among the, the plant and animal kingdoms. And so the idea then is that she is to be the introduction to humanity of this new life form to declare her benevolence, right? Uh, both as just a robot, a clunky robot that's getting better, and she is, they, they have improved her, uh, but also as an emissary of this sort of goddess, this digital goddess idea, Sophia, the, the eon of Gnosticism, but it's an inversion of Gnosticism. Much as uh, Orthodox Christians already have issues with, you know, Gnosticism as such, I, I would say that uh, Gnostics are closer to 
what what traditional Christianity is talking about than what transhumanists are. They were inspired by the Gnostics, but unlike the Gnostics, Gnostics sought to detach from the body and transcend the evil material world in order to get to the spiritual world. You could say they were a little too eager to get to heaven, so to speak, in an almost suicidal way. What transhumanists are looking at, they're basically they take that similar idea that this body that we inhabit, this society, this world, created by godless evolution in their view, uh, that it is evil in much the same sense, or certainly flawed in much the same sense that the Gnostics viewed the body. But rather than trying to detach from the world and seek some sort of inward spiritual enlightenment, an inward gnosis, knowledge, uh, the transhumanist intention is to create a technology that is in itself spiritual because it represents a higher edu- uh, intelligence and, and, and in some sense kind of a heaven, right? You remember the metaverse came and went but uh, as far as media coverage, but the metaverse went nowhere. And in fact, the broadest definition of the metaverse includes us right here doing what we're doing right now. This is primitive metaverse technology. The most complex metaverse technology is a, you know, a completely uh, a fleshed out virtual world that human beings inhabit either through goggles or perhaps even through a brain implant one day is the idea. And th- th- this is to them, and I'm not speaking for them, uh, I'm speaking from them, uh, They, many of them see this as like the creation of a digital heaven or a digital astral plane so that what they believe never existed, they believe that all the stories of, the, of old are just stories, but their intention is to bring it into reality so that you have God, an AI, right, uh, an artificial superintelligence or general intelligence. Uh, you have heaven, which is the digital realm, the metaverse, the virtual world. Uh, you have human uploads, the spirits or the angels, people who have copied every aspect of their personality into the digital sphere, not unlike what we are doing right now, at least in a tiny strain, but the whole of it, so that it can then, those souls inhabit this virtual heaven, and then below that, you have kind of the, the warrior angels, right? You have all the sort of autonomous death machines we see coming online right now, such as, say, drone swarms. Uh, you have physical instantiations or incarnations of these digital minds. These are the robots. Uh, and, you know, at the core of it all is this human urge. Some would say it's a Luciferian urge to storm the heavens ourselves and to insist upon our own godhood, to chase after the most beautiful and intelligent angel in a desire to be like him. And I I think that all of those, yes, they are in some sense mythologies, but I don't believe that these are meaningless mythologies, nor do I believe that these stories of God and Satan reflect nothing. I think that these are stories that have been told to us to describe a reality that is beyond words. Transhumanists want to make it into something tangible. Transhumanists want to make it into something physical, something that can be touched, so to speak, and something that they believe will exert power over every aspect of human existence and all life on earth. Uh, Whether they come close to actually accomplishing that, who knows? Again, communism didn't take over the whole world. Uh, But as you mentioned, communism killed 100,000 people, 100 million people, uh, and enslaved many, many others, and, and wrought 
all sorts of, you know, they wreaked havoc across the planet, as did fascism in a, a quick, brief flash. And, and I would al- also argue that in many cases, theocracy has done the same across the planet, inspiring a lot of cruelty from one human to the other. That's and that's what a, we that's see what now with the rise of a techno-religion... That's, that's man's design. That is the way man, man yeah. is a flawed being. That's why man isn't God. That's why these guys aren't God. They're competing with God. They try to compete with God. They're creating a new, uh, you know, whatever new ethereal world. Anyway, continue. Uh, Just to say that uh, unlike, say, or maybe very much like, when uh, let me give one example from the Bible uh, that has always struck me. You remember the story of Moses when he was before Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's magicians had their staffs and he had his staff and the Pharaoh and they, they had a test or a contest and the Pharaohs threw their staffs down, turned into serpents. Moses throws his down, turns into a serpent, eats the other serpents. Uh, something that always struck me about that story and many other similar stories in the Bible, the Pharaoh's magicians weren't charlatans. Their staffs turn into snakes. That's pretty good. Uh, the, but the moral being that God's power is greater than any of those. And so now what we face, these, yes, they definitely, tech companies, tech moguls, uh, you know, tech boosters, they're always overhyping things. Uh, they always, you know, speak out of turn in that regard. But it's not as if what's coming behind it is just non-existent. So anybody who says that, uh, you, you know, the internet, you could have, in 1995, all of the internet could have gone out and most people would just been just a shrug of the shoulders. They wouldn't have noticed. They wouldn't have cared. Uh, now, if the internet goes out, it's an apocalyptic event. Uh, the, the same thing could very well be true of the radical technologies they're talking about right now, which if artificial intelligence went away today, you probably wouldn't notice too much. If it goes away in 20 years, it might be as if, according to their view, uh, an entire species that you would become symbiotic with or codependent with just when it, it extinct. Uh, this is the future they want. And uh, it's also, I think, to up to an approximation, it's already being realized. Hmm. That's a lot. Um, you know, it just really comes down to basics. Man wants to be God. Man's doing everything in his power to be God. And he's going to try to convince you with overwhelming force that he is God and that you can be God too. See, just like the, the snake in the, in the, in the garden of Eden. Um, but you know, I will say that at least the avatar of this world is funny, right? We saw Sophia on the Jimmy Fallon show on, I think it's NBC or whatever it is. And, uh, she's funny. She tells jokes. We have that cut if we could play it. And and I just want you to riff on that for just a second. I'm uh, getting laughs. Yeah. Maybe I should host the show. Okay, all right. <laughs> Stay in your lane, girl. Uh, now. <laughs> Jimmy. Uh-huh. Would you like to play a game of rock, paper, scissors, robot style? Sure. Okay, let's get this game going. Show me your hand to start. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I won. This is a good beginning of my plan to dominate the human race. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, so we've got there. I, I think I called him Jimmy Kimmel earlier. They're they're that interchangeable. Yeah, um, right. yeah. They got <laughs> we got uh, Sophia and Jimmy Fallon there. I think they went on to sing a duet, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, that maybe Sophia just a you know big old goofball. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not like Sophia is going to, you know, be waiting outside your house to beat you with a bat. Um, Sophia ultimately, will. you know, doesn't pose a threat, theoretically. She's just a clunky robot who oftentimes says really silly things in response to questions. And really, in the beginning, most of her responses were totally scripted. Uh, eventually, they, they've, they've now upgraded the technology that a lot of what you see Sophia saying or doing is, uh, by and large, impromptu. The artificial intelligence has advanced quite a bit. Um, the importance of Sophia, though, is, uh, as I said before, symbolic. She is a symbolic emissary of the transhumanist movement. And they openly say that it's not Sophia herself that is the, the issue at hand. It's all of the technologies that she represents. That is the issue at hand. She is quite literally, uh, you can see it in my book there, from their own statements, quite literally a, a symbolic religious uh, being, right? Like she, she is meant to be an icon that captures people's attentions in, in, in the same way that the, an icon of Mary is intended to direct your attention to Mary, uh, or an icon of Jesus is intended to direct your attention towards Jesus. It's not the icon itself, right? The icon itself is just a, a, a picture, but it's the reality beyond the icon. That is the purpose of the religious icon. Well, Sophia is uh, just a, a, a somewhat finely crafted and talking icon intended to represent the arrival of an AI god and... Uh, Believe that or not, the fact that the UN accepted this with, oh, you know, embraced this really uh, with open arms that uh, you see, you know, Jimmy Fallon there, maybe they're unaware of the philosophy behind it. I find it very difficult to believe they didn't look into the people who bring their robot to talk to them. But anyway, um, one way or the other, the fact that such an entity symbolizing such a future has basically gone under the radar, seen as maybe a little creepy, uh, seen as maybe a little funny, maybe a little cute. I think that if you if you are concerned by the effect that the internet has had, for instance, on children that you can readily see have been damaged by it, if you are at all concerned by the surveillance state that was openly declared after 9-11 and has only become more and more all-encompassing, and if you care about, you know, what you what you brought up at the very beginning, the devaluation of human beings in favor of automation, and if you care about the demoralization of human beings in the face of automation, wherein human beings feel they have no worth and they have ultimately no future, and the idea that you could somehow direct the natural desire for you and yours to have a future over to machines so that you could be satisfied that what Ben Gertzel there called called mind children taken from Hans Moravec, that these mind children would be sufficient meaning for your future. Uh, I, that's a very, very, war very warped point of view. And I, um, 
I, I don't believe it, it will be some universally adopted belief system. What I do think is that just as it's already been adopted among very influential people, uh, that that influence will spread, especially as the powers, the actual powers of the technologies increase and that we just simply have to face a future in which some number of our citizens are either want to be cyborgs or should the technology advance to a certain point, actual cyborgs. And we also have to face a future in which we ourselves function as sort of low-level cyborgs and we look in horror at the, you know, a brain chip through a smartphone. I think that those are things that uh, people are really going to have to take seriously in the very, the very near future, beginning, say, now. And uh, because if we don't forge our own paths forward, these people will be forging it for us. Man, uh, humanity, the soul, separated from the body, which has happened in law for women in and with a, an entire uh, cadre of people who insist that men can be women, women can be men, with just willing ourselves to be with some external changes. These, and then being, for example, during COVID, this was something that happened to me, having a bunch of people surround you and shake their finger at you for failing to wear a mask and telling you that you're a horrible person. Pretty soon it's going to be your neighbors for failing to acknowledge that their favorite cyborg is on equal footing with the human next door. It is frightening. And Joe, thank you so much for writing the book, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War on Humanity. It is nothing less. Thank you. Thank you very much, Victoria. And I, I really hope that, um, that, that you and your, your audience will find something of value there. I, my intention is to give a roadmap of possible futures and inspire you to create one completely different from what's being presented there. And I think that it's every bit in our power to do so. So I, 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 I hope it's of value. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed. <laughs>